This is transmission four of seven, sent five years after the bomb was dropped on New York. My name is L, and this is what I saw. During a nuclear attack, buildings built before World War II offer the greatest protection. If a fallout shelter is unavailable, try to find any building with thick walls and a full basement. Remain inside until it is safe to evacuate. Two weeks is the recommended time to stay indoors and should be enough to allow radiation levels to drop to survivable levels. And remember, all of these are general guidelines and every catastrophe is unique. Page 40 of the Atomic Survival Guide Even with the face masks, the smell was hard to bear. You'd have to be drunk to wander into this place. Don's voice sounded muffled, his eyes glassy above the blue elastic of the mask. His thoughts were still on Walt. Get out. We just had to get out. Just as we turned down the hallway to the elevators, a soft moaning drifted towards us. My eyebrows arched above my mask. Maybe it was just another hungry lab animal. But then it happened again, and this time murmured words were peppered in between the moans. Not an animal. Don and I stopped walking, our shoulders tensed with obligation. Do we... My voice trailed off, and I stared at the floor. I think so. Don sighed. I sighed. We turned around and trudged towards the sound of the moaning. It was coming from where we had heard the shushing sound. We were not prepared for the small trickles of dried blood that clung to the walls on both sides of the hallway. The man's body that lay slumped over, face down in a puddle of congealed liquid, like he was drinking from it. The bits of bright pink peeking out on the back of his skull, his hair matted thick with dark red blood. The moans were coming from a large woman in jeans and a purple sweater. She was sitting next to him, just a few feet away, propped up against a wall. We stared at her as she held her stomach. She kept wailing like she hadn't noticed we were there. Her feet were splayed out in front of her. She looked like a doll, propped up as if by someone else. I'll play with you later, onto the shelf you go. Kevin... She moaned in between dry sobs, labored breathing that made a whistling sound. The blood on her shirt had dried in a large circle, but in the center the blood seeped out from in between her fingers, red and shiny. Don waved his hand in front of her face, leaned in to look at her pupils. She didn't flinch, didn't react. Dawn tried to move her arm to look at her injury. Her eyes latched onto Dawn with a wild look and she started thrashing at him, hissing like an animal. Blood droplets flew through the air. She sprayed our faces and we threw our hands up as shields, backing away. We have to go, I whispered. We can't help her. The woman had calmed down and was back to moaning for Kevin. Dawn nodded, and I felt a torrent of relief wash through me. Maybe it had just been the cramped quarters of the bunker, with its closed walls and constant rustling of the mice, 
that had made Don pledge himself to saving the unsavable. Maybe the spell had been broken the moment we'd left. Slap, slap, slap. I turned around. Tiny feet on gray-blue concrete that belonged to a tiny boy. His shock of black hair bobbed up and down as he rounded the corner behind us. I grabbed Don's elbow and we tore after him. No longer used to running, we gasped trying to keep up. Around the corner he went, around the corner we went, into the dishwashing facility. It was a wide open space with hoses aimed at a conveyor belt. It reminded me of a giant car wash. Racks of used bottles stood abandoned. Cages with dirty bedding stood in piles. The room was freezing, the air conditioning set to high. A large pig tipped over on its side. The animal looked like it had come straight from the butchers. Clean, precise cuts marked the edges of where the scalpel had removed the top layer of skin on its belly in a perfect rectangle. Its guts spilled out onto the white linoleum. An oxygen mask was still connected to its snout, but had been moved sideways as if the pig had tried to say something. Its belly had been picked clean in tiny scoops. The pig must have come to after its surgery had been abandoned during the bombing. The white walls were covered in smudges of tiny red fingerprints, palm prints, footprints. Kevin? I called out into the large room, confused by what I saw. As soon as I opened my mouth, an unbearable stench kicked me in the back of the throat, the masks not thick enough to stop it. I doubled over, retching. Breathe. Get the boy. But the boy is a savage. No, he's not. Pull it together, L. He didn't mean to. He was just hungry. He was all alone. He's just a boy. Don't think about the pig. Too many thoughts jumbled through my brain, and I held onto the sink so I wouldn't collapse. But the sink was covered in flakes of pig blood, just like everything else. I doubled over again, holding onto my ankles, letting my head dangle in between my legs like I used to in yoga class. Like a rag doll. I could hear the instructor's voice in my head. It made me think of the boy's mother, sitting there like a limp rag doll, legs sticking out from under her large torso like she couldn't control them herself at all. And that man, mere feet away from her. I retched again. Dawn rubbed my back as I gagged on the stench and the horrors of the room. Thankfully, I did not have enough food in me to vomit up, and the feeling started to pass. I stood up shakily, leaning heavily against Dawn. You all right? Don massaged the back of my neck, then scanned the large room for the boy. Everything had been abandoned in the middle of a workday. There were a million places to hide. I blinked. D- did he? I glanced at the pig. Its hide looked hard, and it was covered in wisps of white hair that seemed too delicate for a pig that big. You must have been very hungry, Don said keeping his voice even, like he was trying to convince both of us of how rational the situation was. We need to find him. My voice was gravelly. He must have been out here alone the whole time. Don was still trying to reason with the situation. That was two weeks ago. 
I shuddered in Don's arms. I inhaled deep breaths until my knees started to feel sturdy enough, then rummaged through the duffel bag and found the emergency pack of nuts. I set them out onto one of the steel counters. Clinging to Don, we waited. After about ten minutes, with the nuts in plain sight, the boy climbed out from behind one of the pipes in the open ceiling. He looked to be seven, maybe eight years old, a waif of a boy. You're coming with us. I tried to channel my mother, and the boy nodded, finishing the nuts in seconds. He was so dirty, I thought about placing him on the conveyor belt and putting him through the dishwasher. He licked his blood-stained palms, and I had to look away so I wouldn't start heaving again. He let us strap a face mask over his mouth and nose, fuss over it because it was made for adults. He didn't put up a fight, just stared straight ahead like it was something being done to him that was no concern of his. His dark brown eyes spoke of endurance rather than survival. I don't think he expected to ever get out of there. The three of us plodded back to the elevator bay and took the stairs to the ground floor. The Upper East Side was a strange place. The people there spent their money on strange things. Automated cars for their tiny dogs, handbags worth entire salaries, preschools that cost more than my entire college tuition. Don and I lived there for years, but we didn't fit in. Not really. Even though we boarded on the wealth, we never made direct contact. But we'd see flashes of it every now and then, like the rich were reminding us that they were still around. A window left open to display a marvelous dining room. Doormen walking their tenants' designer dogs. People in sensational outfits whisked away by their drivers. All that money talked away just behind those walls. And yet, most cities I'd lived in had homeless people. Strangely permanent, they'd become part of the neighborhood. You got used to them, then you ignored them, then they became invisible. Our block had its own homeless resident. He'd wear this black winter hat, even in the middle of the most humid New York summers. And from his stoop next to our apartment, he would yell the same refrain at everyone as they passed him by. Change today! Deep and throaty, like he had a cold. Change! Not asking for too much, just your change, low-balling the crowd. When we first moved in, I decided to pack change guy a lunch. And I did. A white lady lunch. The brown bag included a kind bar and a banana. I think I even included a Diet Coke. When I tried to hand it to him, he wrinkled his nose at me and told me he was going to get Chinese food later. He did not take the bag. My white lady feelings were hurt, and I never gave him any change after that. It's one of those things I really regret now. The sun was setting as we entered the lobby. Shattered glass covered the floor. Shattered glass and dead birds and burnt trash. Dawn and I gulped in the air that smelled like barbecue. It was still better than downstairs. The little boy scarcely seemed to notice the destruction. Eyes trained ahead onto Tom's back. Me trailing behind, watching him watch Dawn. The ground beneath our feet crunched and sank as we trailed towards the sidewalk outside. We stepped through the broken window, and the last bit of sunshine warmed our skin, turned us a golden orange.
My body started to shake as we stood in the evening sun. My tears caught up to one another, forming broad streaks down my face. You should have listened to Walt. The street was in layers. It reminded me of that science project from first grade where you added different liquids to water to test their density. Corn syrup sinks below the water while oil floats on the surface. The cars on Madison Avenue looked like they had been melted into the street. Bodies lay smashed on top of the cars, on top of the surrounding debris. And a strange black dust covered everything, like oil gliding across the surface of water. It looked like the city had been dipped in tar. I turned on the Geiger, and it crackled in an angry, rapid staccato as radioactive particles hit its sensors at an impressive rate. Shit. I turned it back off. Some of the drivers had been caught inside their cars at the time of the explosion, or the fire that had come afterwards. We'd never know for sure. We'd left them all to die. They still sat at the wheel of their cars, as if they had simply accepted their fate. The charred frames of the cars crowded the street, sidewalk to sidewalk, and as far up and down Madison as the eye could see. We started heading back to the apartment. Three dots of bright color in a sea of black. One pink, one blue, one orange. There is this episode of The Twilight Zone. A man gets a watch gifted to him. It stops time for anyone who isn't wearing it. But as he's robbing a bank, he drops the watch and it breaks, trapping him in that frozen world, alone, forever. It felt like that. The world had been put on pause, and the watch to undo it had been destroyed in the explosion. Every window was broken, popped like balloons, their glass strewn across the shelves inside stores or offices. We passed the black hollows of these first-floor remains, like gaping mouths screaming at us. After seeing my share of huddled corpses underneath desks and in the aisles of bodegas, I stopped looking. There was a howling from somewhere nearby, the first sound we'd heard. When we got to our block, I got out the keys to our apartment. For a moment, the normalcy of this action made me indescribably angry. The boy stirred at the jangling sound, whimpered. But before I could ask him what was wrong, there was a dog, its coat black and dirty. It had jumped onto the counter of the Dunkin' Donuts to our left, its tail wagging excitedly. A happy feeling blossomed in my gut. I love dogs. Maybe this dog could be our pet. Then, out of nowhere, the dog jumped through the broken window and tried to bite my leg. It took me a moment to register, to realize what was happening, and kick its muzzle just before it could chomp down on my ankle. Its fur was golden and curly beneath the black dust. A golden doodle. It whimpered as my boot hit its nose. Resistance seemed foreign to the animal, and it didn't put up a fight, half-whacked its tail in apology, then ducked into the stoop ahead of us. We stood waiting for it to move along, still shocked by its audacity, its eerie playfulness as it attacked. A loud crunching broke the silence as we stood facing the stoop. The dog reappeared 
and turned towards us. Its pink gums pulled wide as if it were smiling. Its stance announced victory as a long arm dangled from its jowls. Oh! I couldn't take my eyes off the arm. It was missing a thumb. Let's just get inside. Don said quietly, grabbing a hold of the boy's hand. I nodded and took the other. Slowly, we passed by the stoop. The dog was still wagging its tail at us, still seemed so proud. I stole a quick glance and saw a black winter hat in the middle of summer. We got to our building, and I plunged the keys into the lock, opened the door. Don was behind me, and as he stepped off the sidewalk and into the doorway, a red ceramic flower pot exploded on the sidewalk behind him. The pot crashed and splintered into large, heavy shards. I heaved the second door open, and Don sprinted past me, holding Kevin's tiny body to his chest. We took off running through the lobby. They knew we were coming in, and they were already in the building. We ran up the first flight of stairs to our apartment, first one on the right. The door stood wide open. Shit! I hissed under my breath. I slammed the door shut and grabbed a chair, wedging it under the handle. Don carried our biggest bookshelf in from the living room and placed it in front of the door with a thud. That's when I realized it was empty. Footsteps out in the hallway. Running in! I just want to talk! A muffled voice came through the door. When we didn't respond, he started pounding on it. Rhythmic, slow, never-ending thuds. We pulled the other two bookshelves in from the living room and set them down in front of the door. Flower pots speak louder than words. We were not coming out. What do you think they want? Dom was sitting next to me on the floor of the now barren living room. Both of us were shivering, cold sweat from our efforts all over us. <laughs> Kill us? An angry laugh escaped me, echoed against the hardwood floor. He had to leave eventually. He'd get tired eventually and go back to wherever he came from. But every time we stood to look under the door, we could see two shadows shifting back and forth right outside. He was standing guard. He wasn't leaving. The apartment had been ransacked. I almost cried over our empty bookshelves, my barren closet. Presumably, the man in the hallway had gutted them for his own purposes. My dresses had likely been repurposed as kindling. All the food was gone, too, except for a couple cans of beans all the way on the top shelf. The man outside our door must have been too short to see them. We ate them hungrily, using our fingers to spoon the cold bean juice into our mouths. After a few hours, we grew used to the banging, and we settled in for the night. The next morning, as the sun was rising through the dusty blinds, the banging resumed, sounding refreshed. We need to figure something out. Don whispered over Kevin, who was sound asleep in between us. Our books are gone. All of them. My eyes were peering over at my bedside table. I'd always placed the books next on my list on my bedside table. Oh well. I know, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's stupid. It's just stuff. I sighed and played with the switch of the lamp. 
The banging droned on as we stared at the ceiling, thinking of how to get out of this mess. Bad? It was the first time Kevin spoke to us. He pointed towards the door. I think so, yes. There was no point in lying to the kid. He had a deeper understanding of the dire circumstance we were in than either Don or myself. The sun shifted through the blinds as it rose higher in the sky, eventually announcing it was noon. I stood and moved them aside to look down at the courtyard below. It was empty, as was the fire escape right outside the window. The fire escape connects to the apartment next door. I said it as it occurred to me. We still have to get past whoever's in the hallway once we head back to the hospital. So Don hadn't forgotten about Walt. He rolled off the bed to stand next to me to look at the fire escape. But at least he won't see it coming. Don nodded. We didn't really have any other options. We gathered the few things we had, and I pulled up the window that led out onto the metal rungs. We scrambled out of the window and onto the fire escape as quietly as possible. Soft, metallic sounds as our bodies moved to the window next door. The pane was cracked, and with a few kicks I opened a big enough hole to reach in and slide it open. I dropped down into the apartment with a thud. My boots officially felt like they had been fused to my feet. The air in our neighbor's apartment felt staler than it did in ours. The same sweet smell as in the street permeated the room. But otherwise, everything appeared normal. The living room looked like a normal living room. The shelves had pictures of the smiling couple. Books were stacked on a chair. Keys lay out on the table. There were coasters with tiny yellow triangles. A glass of water that had evaporated. I don't think anyone's been in here. Don guessed my thoughts. We walked to the front door. It had been barricaded long before ours. A thick layer of dust lay on top of the bookshelf still filled with books. Food! I whispered anxiously and headed towards the kitchen. Anything inside the fridge or freezer was safe to eat. Things in cans were good, too. I found two cans of bean soup and we ate it straight, without spoons, heads tilted back, Popeye style. Feeling invigorated, we started to go through the kitchen, filling the duffel bag as we went. There was so much food. As we packed, we ate. The smell, coming from the bathroom, didn't affect our appetite. If I'm being honest, the couple next door had always been rather unpleasant. I'm being polite. The couple next door had always kind of sucked. There was good reason that this was our first visit to their apartment. Their nightly fights were so loud that we could hear every word and had to avoid the southern half of our apartment after nine o'clock unless we wanted to know exactly how much they despised each other. Worst of all, it was never anything interesting. He was an asshole and didn't recognize her needs. She was an asshole and had misunderstood his argument. Fights over nothing, at full volume. One of my worst interactions with them had occurred on a night when a snowstorm had taken hold of New York. They had been drinking, as snowstorms drive people to do. By midnight, they were screaming at each other so loudly that it sounded like they were standing next to my bed. Sleep was impossible. Dawn had been away, 
finishing his residency in Connecticut. Alone, I stared at the ceiling as she shrieked, and he replied in a monotone bellow that made my skin crawl. I had to go to work the next day despite the snow. I pictured myself trying to inject mice with HIV-filled syringes, pictured myself missing the mark, the ER trip that would follow. I had to do something. Gingerly, I kneeled on the mattress and turned towards the wall. With my right hand, I gently knocked against it. A very polite knock, I thought, but it only made it worse. Fuck you. The man next door had bellowed at me, monotone as ever. Why don't you come on down here, motherfucker? I had turned back around, and slowly, as if he would be able to hear the mattress creak beneath my feet, slid back under the covers. Then I had slept with my bedside lamp by my side for the rest of the night. We slept in the sucky couple's bed, Kevin in between us as before. Fed and feeling slightly more safe, the banging now only faint, we slept like babes. Then sunrise came, and our minds, no longer addled by hunger and exhaustion, started to spit out thoughts we'd been able to avoid until then. Why has no one come for us? Don leaned in close, speaking into my ear so the boy couldn't hear. Why has no one come for the bodies? Where the fuck is the army? His breath was hot against my cheek, seeped into the streaks of my oily hair as he waited for an answer. I lifted my chin and kissed him. Answers. Who had answers anymore? <laughs>